Times of crisis reveal our leaders. The people who can lead out of a crisis are those who can think out of the box and challenge what we know is normal. You can't rely on normal in thinking inside the box because both have been obliterated. You can't approach unprecedented times with precedented behaviors. You have to come at things a little differently. I'm starting this podcast during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is unlike anything most of us alive have ever witnessed. Some will falter and fail to act. Some will be overcome by the moment. However, there are those who are willing to take a chance to pave a way forward. This is an opportunity to traverse a new frontier of thought, industry, economics, politics, and so on. This podcast wants to find those people who are willing to lead into the unknown. This is Uncharted. Back in March, I read an article titled Leading Through the Blizzard by Andy Crouch. The article wanted to challenge leaders of organizations, large and small, to critically look at their situation and how they will lead through it. In essence, a lot of people will view this event of COVID-19 as a blizzard, short-term, temporary. Others will look at this with a wider lens and see this as a blizzard, but within a winter, devastating for a short-term, with lasting impact for a period of time after, months. However, what we are really dealing with is something more akin to a mini ice age. This disruption is both devastating and will also alter our idea of normal for a time to come. I found this analogy fascinating. We've all kept up with the news cycles and at this point, we are starting to see armed protests in state houses with people clamoring for things to get back to normal. Without taking too gloomy of a view here, I don't think we will ever return to normal. Experts project that we are looking at a period of possibly years before this passes and normal life resumes. However, if we take this time as a wake-up call, it is clear that we as a nation and a planet were pretty unprepared. So, who are the thinkers who are going to be able to keep their industries afloat while also start protecting from whatever might come next? If I'm being honest, it probably isn't the CEOs, the superintendents, the current elected officials, or who we currently view as leaders for the most part. Those people gathered power by doing things the old way. Honestly, I think a lot of leaders are going to be afraid to really push their organizations forward because people are looking for them to return them to safety, even if that's false hope. So what may have been incredibly risky six months ago might actually be a bona fide solution now. And I want to find the people who have the next big ideas on how to change what we do. I'm not a journalist, professional producer, or podcast veteran. You're going to hear a lot of verbal tics, probably some feedback, and most definitely my children in the background at times. What I am is somebody curious who wants to open up a conversation about how to revolutionize their work, their jobs, and those around them. My day job, athletic director. I've been in the education space for nearly 15 years, so that's where I'm going to start my exploration. There is no better time than now to change our course and fix our structures. My first guest has also been in the education space for nearly 15 years, and she's one of the most brilliant minds I know and is helping lead the state of Colorado in serving students with diverse needs through this time. Of course, I am biased. 
Our first guest for the Uncharted podcast is Casey Coates, who I know from living with because we're married. Um, but Casey, welcome and go and introduce yourself. Well, hello, Caleb. Uh, my name is Casey Coates, and I am the executive director of the Collaborative for Exceptional Education. And we are an entity that was built to serve schools across the state of Colorado as they are trying their best to serve their diverse learner population. Great. So do you feel like you're getting a pretty good sense of uh, districts across Colorado um, and how they're responding to the current pandemic? Absolutely. So I feel very blessed to have a pretty good pulse of what's going on in the state whether it's through one-on-one conversations with teachers across the state or district representatives across the state. Um, And then, of course, I am collaborating with state entities like the Colorado Department of Ed or CAXA, which is, you know, a state association for supporting authorizers. So I do feel like I have a pretty good sense of what's going on across our schools. Nice. Well, that's good. Um, so as we kind of look ahead, I mean, the idea of this podcast is to kind of think about, um, well, it's titled Uncharted, uh, because we are looking at the road ahead and that we're definitely in some uncharted territory. And this idea of normal that we were in is just not going to be the same for a lot of industries, um, if not all industries. And I think education, especially um, from my perspective, I see there are a lot of people who would like to return to normal. Whatever that is actually supposed to mean now, but you could argue that normal wasn't actually working before, so maybe this is actually an opportunity. Um, and so, when we think about the scenarios of returning back to school in fall, because in Colorado, I believe schools across the state have been uh, canceled by the governor for the rest of uh, the twenty twenty school year, um, and now it's what happens in the fall. And so, from your perspective. I know you've identified what you, what you think are your six scenarios of how this could play out. Can you kind of run through those for us real quick? Yeah. So I would say there is the back to normal scenario, like you said, but I would actually rename that as pipe dream. Uh, there's the socially distanced version, blended approach, fully online, fully online with in-person support for students with severe needs and then some form of fluid response where you go through each of the, the different scenarios. Great. And I feel like the idea of returning to normal, I know you said it's a pipe dream. I say it's a pipe dream. We live in the same house, so maybe it's because we have that conversation all the time. But I think a lot of people think it's a pipe dream. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I actually don't think that people think it's a pipe dream. And I think that's partially because we're not talking about it enough and talking about what's we might be encountering in the fall. Mm. And so I do think like that's the rationale for why I believe this podcast is important right now is to, to provide people with a little bit more clarity about what they might be running into so that they're not walking into this blind. So then in your mind, what is the most likely scenario of the, those that you've identified? I would say either the blended approach or the fluid response. I do think schools are going to be in and out of a variety of different scenarios in the fall. And so they're gonna need to create some form of, of flexible or fluid response to addressing those scenarios with their student populations. Af- like absolutely believe that there's going to be some online version that needs to be offered by every single school because we do have kids that have 
underlying health conditions, which includes asthma. I mean, that's a high population of children that we're talking about. Um, but we also have kids that are medically fragile. We also have kids that, you know, might be quarantined because their family has been exposed to COVID or they themselves are sick, sick with COVID. So I do think there's going to be a need for us to have some form, form of fluid approach as we are dealing with the variety of needs that we encounter. So, all right. So you've identified blended and fluid as your top two most likely scenarios. Um, first, Briefly, just explain what a blended model would look like. A blended model could look anything like, you know, having students in the building and some students doing online learning at any given time and having the opportunity to move in and out of in-person and online. So that could be a scenario where students are on a days they are coming into half of the student population is coming into the building and experiencing small group instruction by the teacher and B days those same students are receiving online instruction and those kids flip flop between the A and B days or it could be half the student population comes in in the morning and then they do afternoon activities online and then vice versa for those the other student population so it's just moving in and out of you know, this blended approach of online learning and in-person support. And so realistically, like assuming social distancing guidelines stay intact for a long duration, like if we're going to get any kids back in school buildings, like we have to be thinking this direction, right? Absolutely. I think this is probably the number one things, thing people need to be planning for. Mm-hmm. They need to have a pretty solid blended approach set up by the end of the school year so that they are ready to launch that in the beginning of the year. And do you think schools would be looking to do something like this as opposed to staying strictly online? Do you feel like there's, is there an appetite amongst the schools you talk to, to try to figure out, I guess, weighing the risks to get kids back in the school buildings or where do you feel schools are at with this? I would say schools are really struggling with online learning right now. I think some have, have figured out a good approach and, and they are doing their best, but I would, would say we're really far from quality. And so, and I think a lot of that's because of student engagement, because of parent requirements for engagement, and that's really hard. Um, but I also think teachers, a lot of teachers didn't sign up to be online instructors. A lot of them have already told me that they're like, I didn't sign up for this. I want out, you know, and I don't blame them. They want to be around kids. And so I do think for the best interest of of our adults as well as the kids that are involved i think there there is a benefit to having this blended approach really nailed down and really solid because i think we're going to be able to move to a higher quality of education Hmm. okay um and so you your blended approach you just explained what is your fluid approach and what are what's the difference between fluid and blended I mean, fluid is just that you're moving in and out of any number of the scenarios that I listed earlier. So we could start online or we could start the school year in person and back to normal, if you will. Uh, And then all of a sudden the region has an outbreak and everyone moves to online school over the weekend. Um, And then as things start to, to clear up or the you know, curve starts to flatten again, then they might open up this blended approach. And so it's really just this ability to pivot really quickly um, and move in and out of scenarios in a way that's still ensuring a high quality education for our kids. Um, Because we might be in this 
for a really long time. And, and for us to not have a plan for moving in and out of these, or if we were just like, well, we're just going to throw our hands in the air and say, well, we're going to do online schooling for three weeks, which is just going to be a wash. Well, that's unacceptable when we start moving in and out of these, these closures um, for a long period of time. And so, so that fluid model, even if we returned to, returned to normal, quote unquote, everybody's back in their desks, I mean, there could be an need where we have to shut down and essentially be in the same situation everybody was in March, right? Absolutely. And, and I so, think it's going to be even faster. I think yeah. the you know, here in Colorado, we had a lot of schools that this happened over the spring break. And so schools were given about three weeks to two to three weeks to figure out what their online model was going to be and launch. And I think that was a luxury that I think that we can't afford in the future, especially if this is going to be something that we move in and out of quite frequently. So we can't just give up three weeks every time we have to move to an online model. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to have more like a weekend to get our act together and launch into a new program. So realistically schools, they shouldn't really even be picking one of these scenarios in some sense, they need to be ready for all six scenarios. Yep. And I think that's the work that not, I think that is the work that we are doing with schools right now is this contingency planning. And so it, you know, while schools are, are talk, are talking about and thinking about reentry right now, this reentry plan needs to have contingency A, B, C, and D. I mean, it's, it would be silly to be like, okay, reentry just means we're coming back, back to normal. And we're just planning for that. Um, in fact, you know, everybody is having is thinking contingencies right now because nobody knows what the future will hold. And so the importance of having our contingency plans well established and and everyone's trained and knows what to do so that we can move quickly, move fluidly, and pivot so that quality doesn't get lost. It's gonna be really important. And so as everybody is starting to well, hopefully starting to get on this work, there's of course gonna be some challenges. And so from your perspective, what are the three biggest gaps or concerns that schools need to address um, while they figure out how to track their course this unknown? I would say first and foremost, financial financial concerns are going to be huge. Second, we're going to have this new challenge of a high population of kids that are coming in with academic gaps and social emotional learning gaps um, that are going to need to be addressed more intensively. And the third thing will be the actual basic needs of our kids and their families that we have never seen the magnitude of before. And so schools are going to have to be figuring out how to support that as well. So let's kind of go through those a little bit. So your, your first is monetary or budget. And so like, what are, what are the constraints that you're seeing there? So yeah, we are, we are definitely coming into a financial crisis across the nation, not just education. Um, but there are going to be some pretty big implications on our school budgets, district budgets. Um, although we did just receive funding, uh, from the federal government to support K through 12. I'm not certain about what that's going to look like and how that money gets to schools. Um, but there has been some additional funds approved for districts and schools. Um, but financial concerns are going to be huge and that could lead to layoffs. It could lead to decreased funding for different departments or different supports that are in place at the district level. And so I think schools are really going to need to be thoughtful about what are the non-negotiables, what are the essentials that we need to be funding 
and making sure that they are putting money into areas that are really going to lead to high quality education and um, exceptional support for our families and our kids. So apart from their normal operations, you know, as you're looking at online learning, there's tech upgrades, there's computers, there's maintenance, there's all that. And so even the normal expenses aren't even normal anymore. You mentioned universal needs in terms of academics and social emotional skills and things of that nature. Explain a little bit, expand on that gap a little bit. Well, I mean, if you are a school or a leader who has not adopted a, an MTSS or a multi-tiered systems of support approach yet, where you are at different levels thinking about the variety of needs that are in your building, now is the time to do so. Because now more than ever, we are going to have a wide variety of of needs coming into our buildings. And those needs are gonna span, obviously academically, because we just had an entire semester or a quarter where kids have had a variety of levels of just academic quality. You know, we have some families whose parents work and out of the household, and so kids are trying to navigate online learning on their own. We have school districts that have not um, really set a high bar for what quality instruction should look like while online. So we've got, you know, a high variety of what that could look like. So some schools are just giving out packets and some schools are doing one-on-one instruction. And so you've got quite a variety of what kids are getting and what they're accessing. So our kids are coming in with a pretty large variety of needs academically, let alone the social emotional needs that needs that they're going to be coming in with after being in their homes where they might, you know, be experiencing trauma, poverty, all these other things that could be impacting them socially and emotionally. Yeah, because you mentioned earlier, like really the current online model, from what you've seen, nothing is really high quality, right? Absolutely not. I would say there are some pockets and maybe some individual teachers who are doing amazing things and are really moving to that quality side of things. And are using data to assess whether or not they're it's what they're providing is working or not. But as a whole, it's, it's a lot of survival right now. I think a lot of schools are just like, wait and see, we'll, we'll wait it out. We'll just do our best right now and we'll just get through this. And so a lot of people are focusing on just engaging kids, connecting kids and supporting them socially, emotionally. And that is wonderful and probably the right move for now because we're in a pandemic and it's overwhelming and stressful, but I don't think it's going to cut it long-term if we are in this for, you know, another semester, year, five years. Don't, don't say that too loud. Five years, question mark. You just created a panic. That's going to (laughs) be terrible news for a lot of people. Um, but true. So brace yourselves. Um, and then, well, five years is a long time, really six months is a long time. And you mentioned basic needs is going to be the gap. Uh, can you talk about what you mean there? So basic needs are going to be a problem for our families because, you know, the financial crisis is going to hit educational entities pretty hard, but nothing like what it's going to hit some of our, our families. I mean, some, we have a higher population of individuals that are are unemployed right now than ever before. We have families that are moving across the state trying to find cheaper places to live. We have people who are moving out of the country in order to, you know, get out of the financial strain that they're under. And so our families' basic needs are going to be huge. And those are when I say basic needs, I'm talking 
food, lodging, safety, those kinds of things. And obviously, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if those things are not addressed, then there's no way we can ever move up to any of the educational components that we're, we're asking our kids to do in school. And so it is going to be more important than ever that schools are actually addressing those basic needs at a pretty high level so that schools can come ready to learn. Yeah, I read this morning that uh, it was nationally, I can't remember the exact number, but I think something of only about 29% of those who have um, applied for unemployment benefits have received them so far. And so uh, we're definitely looking at a crunch. I mean, you look at a tax base is going to decline dramatically for states. Colorado especially is is feeling that right now. Um, and that does, it impacts a lot of things like bond measures where schools are looking to, you know, add a few cents to property tax so they can fund, you know, building structures and features and things like that. So um, I think we're going to be looking at a, a shift in priority where, you know, food services at schools is going to be a lot more important um, than it already was. So I, I think you're right. I think there's definitely some some big gaps. And I know there are others that we haven't gotten to on, on this podcast. And, and that's fine. I think most importantly, um, people need to start thinking ahead and plenty ahead. And so as we kind of close out here, like, I don't know, what's your word of encouragement to schools and, and planners and people who are thinking about that? Well, I guess I... You know, I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of girl, and I think that I I see this as an opportunity. I know this is scary, and I know this is really overwhelming. And obviously, some families are being hit harder in this than others. Um, I know some schools are going to get harder hit harder, but I honestly I see this as an opportunity to really make change. And and you know, going back to the basic needs conversation, I think. This is an opportunity for schools to get back to what we used to be, where we were a community entity. We were a part, we were a cog, we were a part of a community. And so collaborating with community organizations and churches and rec centers and things like that to actually address these basic needs rather than everyone working in silos and trying to figure out how are we going to meet our kids' needs or, you know, over here by ourselves. I think now is the time for communities to rally and actually organize in a way that's going to get our families what they need rather than just expecting schools to be the answer or expecting this other entity over here to be the answer. Um, so I, I see this as an opportunity to, to really assess what our community does have and start to work together. And then maybe, you know, other community members can help fill the gaps. You know, I think this is, an opportunity to see what our our community has access to. And so you are kind of leading the charge on many fronts. Is Are there any resources you can point people to? Well, there's your website, of course, but uh, any anything coming up that might be helpful for, for people to, to tune into? I mean, we've got a lot of webinars that are coming that are more teacher or parent focused. I think um, as far as next steps for schools as they're doing this re-entry planning and the contingency planning, I'd recommend that they reach out to us directly and we can partner with them in this work. And and then as far as the community engagement work, the, the Colorado League of Charter Schools does have community organizers who, who do work in that area and do help organize communities to, to support the needs of their kids. So there are, there are entities that are doing this work and would be happy to partner with schools as they're trying to, trying to, to do this for themselves. 
tell the audience your website and how they can get a hold of you. So we are the exceptionalcollaborative.org and you're welcome to go to that to find you know more information about what we do as well as how to contact us. Um, and chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you found it through her weekly newsletter. But if not, uh, as you go to the website, there is a weekly newsletter you can sign up for um, that will also include a bunch of resources, links, and things of that nature for people who are trying to plan ahead. Uh, well, Casey Coates, thank you for joining us. And um, listeners, you will probably hear her several times more throughout this podcast. Um Again, mostly because we live in the same house and it's tough to find guests. Convenient. (laughs) Very convenient. (laughs) So, all right. Well, thank you and have a good day. Bye. As she mentioned, you can see more of Casey's work at exceptionalcollaborative.com or you can search for the Collaborative for Exceptional Education. It is Colorado-based and you'll find that a lot of my upcoming guests are from Colorado. But I hope that we can hit on big ideas that you can relate to no matter where you're listening from. That said, however, our next episode is going to take a look at schools in New Orleans. While we've never experienced a pandemic and shutdown of this magnitude nationally, this isn't the first time an extended shutdown has happened for pockets of our population. We're going to talk to a school leader who helped lead recovery efforts in post-Hurricane Katrina New Orleans and explore some of the lessons learned by looking backwards in order to charge forward. I hope you enjoyed listening and will consider tuning in for future podcasts. Please hit the subscribe button and spread the word. As I mentioned earlier, we're starting with education. But if you think you've got a good angle, a big idea, or want to start talking about disrupting the status quo with me, send an email to coatsc at gmail.com. These conversations are important and we need people to start having them. Until next time. This podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Caleb Coates at Scratch Recordings, LLC. Credit to Andy Crouch for his article, Leading Through the Blizzard, which you can find on practicelabs.org, which served as the impetus for getting this podcast started. This has been Uncharted. Uncharted.